welcome to Write Sweat, the weekly writing podcast that nobody asks for. My name's Jen, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-hosties with the co-mosties, Leah and Jesse. Hey. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> All right. Hey, guys, so how's your nano going? Ooh, I haven't caught up, but I, at least for this last week, I switched gears, sort of inspired by what we were talking about last week. I have mostly been writing snippets of wiki entries uh, mm. for my D&D campaign, which we're going to play again next Sunday. Ooh, I like so that. I've That's creative. A lot of really cool, like, atmospheric world-building things. I've written a couple of encounter uh, encounter descriptions, so describing the monster they're fighting mm. or the scene they're in, just to kind of prepare a little bit more than I even usually do, which I like. I feel a little more prepared going into my session next week. I feel that the the quality of what I'm presenting to my players is a little bit elevated. So I'm excited to see how they take that. That's going to be fun. I like that. Yeah. I didn't even think about doing that for Nano because I wrote 2,000 words in the last week. Um, so I played D&D with you so I could work on my character a little bit and work on this. Because I was going to do that anyway. So if I, maybe if I approach it from that different angle, it might be more lucrative. Well, for you, and this is something that we as your friends can help with, should we be pushing you not to get distracted or do you need a little bit of a break from your narrative? I needed a, a break this week because I was so stressed out about it. And I don't quite know why there wasn't really any stress on it. And I know that we've talked about compartmentalizing the nano stress and not pushing us too far. If we don't do it, we don't do it. And that's fine and everything. But I think there was that nano on top of some personal issues that just kind of locked me into a corner. I think physically, like literally and mentally, I really started hanging out in this corner of my house a lot, just surrounded by things and just sort of stressed about what to do and felt like I was doing the same thing every day. Nothing was really working. And then I decided I just didn't want to write because I didn't want to write. And then I was stressed about that. So taking the week off and finding a way to be okay with it, I think was, was pretty helpful. And now, now I'm so behind. I don't think I can catch up to the, like the, to win technically, but I feel okay with that now. I think last week I didn't feel okay with that. And, Every time you log in, if you guys log in on the the Nano website, it has all those stats all of a sudden. And it says, like, when you'll finish your novel, what you need to write to catch up, this and that and this and that. And those things, I think, I were working against me. So now, like, I wrote a couple things for the past two days. It's more just fun stuff, whatever I want to write. And I think finally I updated my word count, like, last night. <laughs> Good. Just because the, those that constant, like, this is what you need to change in order to win. And I'm like you can't really catch up on it, mm-hmm. you know? Unless you were able to devote an entire nonstop 24 hours to writing. Yeah. And that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's people out there, though, that do that, the 24-hour thing. Oh, yeah. Do they have 24-hour events? I thought you were going to one uh, this weekend, but I was wrong about that. Yeah, this weekend I'm going to the Night of Writing Dangerously. It's actually in a couple hours. It's not 24 hours, though, but it is super long. It's from 4 p.m. to 11 p.m. Oof. Yeah, I thought it was like 12 to 20 hours. I thought that was the dangerous part was sleep deprivation. <laughs> I think it's the like open bar. That's the dangerous part. <laughs> I was about to say, the, the four cups of coffee, you pound at four o'clock and then expect to be done at 11? Uh-uh. Oh, it's Jennifer, so it was two five-hour energies. <laughs> um, as far as nano, uh, my word count. Um, I actually slowed down dramatically this week, which is upsetting for me, but it's okay. I'm at like 20K. Which, if you recall, like last week, I was at like, I think I was at like 16 or 19K last week. Yeah. yeah. I have not written for multiple days. Um, 
mostly from like stress from work and uh, stress from like trying to plan my trip to San Francisco. Super last minute. I uh, did not buy my plane ticket until literally the day before I flew here, which is not wise. Whoops. <laughs> it's not smart. Don't do what I did. <laughs> so is that, is that a typical thing? So is a three week, uh, three week apathy sort of normal, do you think? Or is it just you? Um, actually, it, it is pretty normal for people to slow down dramatically at the halfway point. Um, oh, okay. People get discouraged or they feel burnt out, all those things. And so it's really important at this stage to like do some self-care, like do, do what you need to feel better, more comfortable, but like not give up. Just take it easy yeah. if you need to, but don't give up because that's really just, I mean, you're, you're screwing yourself over by not writing really, which I mean, I'm doing right now. <laughs> Well, I think the only thing for a lot of people that's more stressful than holiday time with your family is the week yeah. before where you have to where you realize how much stuff you have to do before holiday time with your family, even though it's really not that bad. It's all the same stuff every year. Just looking at the list of things that I have to cook next week, all the people that I'm going to see, mm-hmm. it just feels like it can get overwhelming even before it happens and before it's a real thing. Yeah. That on top of having to sit and commit to writing every day just feels too much sometimes. Yeah. My psychiatrist actually talked about that. The, uh, the way that as we like get closer to the holidays, we get more um, emotionally unstable, even for like people who don't have mental disorders, like everyone, literally everyone becomes more um, anxious. And even if it's just subtle and you don't realize what's causing it, it's, it's the holidays. Is that why there's so many, um, sort of logistically, is that why there's so many, like, major events, uh, M- uh, nano events in that, like, third week? Like, all the, the train ride-ins? and Yeah, we do, for, for my Seattle region, yeah, we do the great train ride-in where we, like, take a train to Portland. There's, do a there's one in uh, San Diego as well. A train one? Yeah, it goes from, it's go, actually going, I think it, it's actually there now. I think it's going from San Diego to San Francisco, I think, Ooh. for this event. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Nice job, San Diego. I know LA does a really cool one too. Um, they take a train. I think it's. I think San Diego's going to LA, and I think they're meeting with those ones, and then going more northern. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, actually, um, there's a forum and like a Facebook group for all the MLs and all the different regions, and uh, we posted about our great train ride in from Seattle to Portland, and all these other regions. Did you guys create that? Well. We created it in our region. Our participants said we didn't actually create it. Um, oh, okay. Not the MLs anyway. But we posted about it just because we thought it was cool that some participants, like, did this. And then a bunch of other regions, like LA and stuff, were like, hey, we do this too. Like, maybe we should try and do some sort of, like, West Coast train line type thing. Like, kind of, yeah. like, have, like, a huge, like extravaganza i guess for all the west coast regions and i thought that was freaking amazing i thought that sounded hella cool so well there was a i so i go to video game conventions and comic cons and stuff like that for things that i enjoy doing and there is a group of people that when they go to penny arcade expo pax prime in seattle they take the pacific starlight which is Mm -hmm. the train route that runs from los angeles all the way up the coast to seattle they take that a couple days before the event they play board games, they run RPGs, they basically have a mini convention before the convention on this train right up to Seattle, and then do the same thing coming back down yeah. after the convention. That's amazing. You power, you get food, and certain routes, you have Wi-Fi, it's pretty spotty. And you get an absolutely gorgeous view. And you get to be on a train. Yeah. Yeah. It does <laughs> something like, so, like, romantic about it, right? 
Yeah. There is, it's yeah. Like old-timey and cool. Well, and this one's called the Pacific Starlighter. Yeah, so it's hard that's not like, to get a little Yeah, that's pretty romantic. romantic. That. It makes me feel kind of like Midnight in paris I mean, they don't even take a train in that, but you know what I mean. The only thing I always worry about with taking a train, because I've never taken one for that amount of time, and specifically to write, it reminds me of the Sex in the City episode where Carrie tries to take the train across the country, and she absolutely hates it, and it's, like, full mm-hmm. of awful kids and their families. And I'm, I'm so worried that unless I went with a group of people like a bunch of writers who were going for that experience, that it would just be a, my personal hell. Well, that's the worst part about it is you get to ride the train, but also you have to ride the train. <laughs> Amtrak is not fabulous. <laughs> so with that, normally we talk about our influences, but I guess this week we should frame it as what is distracting us this week? What have we been consuming other than our own writing? Oh, God. <laughs> um, a couple things. I think a lot of it is actually pretty helpful. I think a lot of it was me taking a breather and then finding not pieces that I want to replicate, but things that have spoken to me in the mood I was in from writing so much in a positive way that has inspired me to write more or at least figure out a kind of a direction to go in. We saw the new Suspiria, Leah and I did, uh, and that was really helpful. Uh, We watched the movie Thoroughbreds, which was really helpful for me. I like how it is a ostensibly a thriller film where nothing really happens. I think the biggest twist of that is that there is no twist which i liked a lot yeah it very much it calls it shot tells you what it's gonna do and then it does it and there are so many opportunities in the movie where you think based on everything you've seen before that it's going to sharply turn away from that or something else is going to happen or this thing that was planted in the beginning is going to really come back and screw them and it doesn't it's very straightforward and it's really interesting to watch that is interesting. And then I think the visual language of it, too, was very helpful. Like, I, it's vaguely, a, it's pretty much a small film. There's four actors. Nothing really happens. Three acts. But I, I almost wish I had seen it on the big screen just because of the way the camera sort of lives in the, the setting and inside the locations. And there's a lot of slow pans up walls and things that I like. And I don't know how that would help my writing, but it, it doesn't hurt it. And it's too young actresses who really keep your attention the entire time and I think that it's fun the way that it's written in the way that these girls aren't likable but they're not mean girls I think that's a trope when you're talking about high school girls that gets really overplayed mm-hmm. you can either be bitchy and popular or you can be likable and unpopular and these girls their social yeah. standing doesn't matter um, they're both they're both twisted they're both unlikable but they're your protagonists Mm -hmm. so you're rooting for them and the two girls that star in the movie are absolutely fantastic they really do keep your attention and keep your your heart in it as long as for the entire length of the film when it was cool it was written by a man it was written by the man that directed it and i think that's really interesting when you say that as well because the girls were like you said nothing remarkable they were the sort of boring regularness that any character should be. I think sometimes when men try to write women, and especially younger girls, they try to imbue them with all this mystical, unknowable complications and complexities, which is true about anybody, but also not true about anybody. Uh, so I think I like that, that they, were, they weren't they were boring, certainly not at all, but they weren't, they weren't a manic pixie dream girl or a, you know, Angelina Jolie and Girl Interrupted or anything like that. Right. Right. They weren't plastics versus like Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They were flawed, but not 
Although, be to be fair, Mean Girls did a fucking fantastic job deconstructing those tropes uh. of Mean Girl versus like unpopular normal girl. They did, and I think the thing that followed was an attempt to recreate that magic that was Mean Girls in a way that really just made the trope more of a trope. You mean like Mean Girls Two? I'm talking about. Oh God, Mean Girls Two! Whoa, what a yeah, disaster! It's like they never saw the first one. Like they just. Yeah, Look at the front art cover art and call it good. To be fair, that's how Grease 2 was. Oh, yeah. I've never seen that, but I've heard <laughs> it's nuts. I'm thinking about things like Easy A. We went back. Easy A is good. It is good, but we did go a little bit backwards to the let's adapt a piece of classic literature to something more modern and keep it very cut and dry, where I think that Tina Fey is a really good writer and was able to not rely on something that was previously written in order to tell an interesting story. And that's why she was able to break some. I mean, Easy A was good. Yeah. No, I, lo- <laughs> I really did <laughs> like Easy A. It took me a while to watch it. But I, I enjoyed Easy A, but I do, I do think that they fell into that trope. They just weren't aggressively intense about the tropes. Right. That's what Emma Stone like, should have gotten. Girl versus her, normal girl. Really? Mm. You think she was better in La La Land really? than she was in Easy A? No, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> those aren't the only two movies she's been in. <laughs> I think this year. How can you put those in the same sentence? That is so. What goofy. about that scene? And she goes into the Red Lobster. Do you know? It's like a gif now. Where she like rolls her eyes, but like I, that was the funniest thing I had seen before. I mean, it was good. I don't know. She's good. I mean, I really did like when she was singing to that to that uh like card she got. Yeah. Pocketful sunshine, like that was That's good. Me forever. I hate the song. I hate the song. The song is the best song in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Jen? What are your influences you're pulling in or distractions this week? Oh yeah, that's right. We're talking about that still. Um, <laughs> um, so my distractions, uh, I'll be honest, I'm super, super bad with uh, video games. I just get real trapped in <laughs> video games. So I was playing Dead by Daylight for a long time. And like when I say I played it, it's like I logged in every single day. What is that? I played that game for a couple hours. It's a horror game where you try and survive a killer it's real oh. fun but uh i slowed down on that one and i got real obsessed with like some mobile games so like pokemon go i re-downloaded that uh-huh. app and i've been like going hard getting me some like really rare pokemon well, you're in san francisco i'm sure you have a lot of good pokemon yeah. around you yeah i'm getting it and i'm gonna trade them for distance just for any pogo listeners yeah i'm getting me some, some san francisco pokemon um i've got like Ugh, freaking like 20 Mewtwo's. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm going hard. <laughs> I downloaded, speaking of that, Jennifer, I downloaded the Pokemon Magikarp Jump. Have you played that one? <laughs> no, I haven't, but I've I heard the most wholesome game you've ever seen. I'm probably as into it as you are with Pokemon Go this week, truly. Uh, yeah, they released that new Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee game for like Nintendo Switch. Oh, yeah. And it's like integrated with Pokemon Go, so I'm like, ooh, shit. Am I about to buy Nintendo Switch? Like, mm, oh, I'm always on that edge. Yeah, every night when we go to bed, he looks at me and says, Leah, when are we going to get a Pokemon Switch? Or a uh, Nintendo, Nintendo Switch? Switch. <laughs> Pokemon Switch. Honestly, it is a Pokemon Switch. That's what it's for Pretty for me. It's Pokemon. I've, it's a Pokemon machine. I maintain a hard line that if we're going to buy a video game system in this house, it's going to be one that will let me play Kingdom Hearts 3 this winter. Does the Switch do that? Probably not. But the Switch will allow you to play Skyrim while in the bathroom. Just while Wait, you can play Skyrim? Yeah, it's got Skyrim. You can play Skyrim on fucking... Oh my god, on Nintendo? Yeah, so you can take Skyrim on the bus. Yeah, that makes me want it pretty bad. There was someone playing freaking Pokemon 
next to me on the plane down to San Francisco. And I was just like, this is amazing. This like, is the world I want to live in. Yeah, I'm like trapped in a plane. And I have to watch Deadpool too, which <laughs> honestly, not as good as I was hoping for. And this other guy gets to play games. I was jealous. <laughs> That is something to be jealous of. I'm also real bad on that uh, that Love Nikki game. Oh man, dress up, dress up, girl doll game. I don't know. It's freaking amazing. So, listeners, let us know if you would like Jen and I to host a Love Nikki podcast because <laughs> this is entirely what we text about all day, every day. It could be called Lovely Nikki, and you guys yeah. could talk about that, but I just talk about Prince the whole time. We'll make you download Love Nikki. We yeah. want to know what your um, competition outfits are. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to integrate? Playing apps and writing, Jennifer? Uh, there actually is. There's different apps that help motivate you to write. Um, well, there's one that's really, really popular, Habitica. It's a, it's like a habit RPG. Yeah, it's a, it's a habit-forming RPG. So you can do it for literally any habit that you want to encourage yourself uh-huh. to do. I really love that one. It's really cool. It's a, um, really a lot of writers use it. Yeah, you have like little sprites and you get to win like swords and clothes and different things mm-hmm. to dress them up in um by actually doing what you say you're going to do like different um oh. daily things like clean my yeah, room make that. my bed or write two thousand words um so i'm absolutely garbage at actually updating that app so i had to stop using <laughs> it um because i just never did but i know that it's really like a helpful tool for a lot of mm-hmm. people yeah i had one for a while i had habitica for a while and i had this other one that um Every time you drank a glass of water, you were supposed to log it, and it would water your plant. Oh. And if you didn't drink enough water, your plant would die and be sad. And I don't drink enough water, and then I would never update the app. So I'd have friends that were just texting me going, like, your plant is dying. Drink a wa- drink water. Your plant is dying. Leah, why are you such a terrible plant mom? <laughs> so I had to delete that app because I just felt too guilty. <laughs> and then there's, um, I actually just checked my writing apps on my phone. I use this other one which is literally just name generator and nickname generator and and like idea generator, all these like really simple generators, Mm -hmm. but they're like really good ones. They don't just generate like trash that you would ignore. Like they generate stuff that I've actually used. What are those apps called? Literally that name generator, Um, idea generator. They're real easy to find on the app store. Boop, boop, boop. Downloading them now. What about you, Leah? What about me? What? Your distractions. Oh, that's right. We didn't talk about my distraction. Um, so I went with you to, I went with Jesse this week to see Suspiria, the new Suspiria. Um, I found for a moment the night after we saw it that I really wanted to write Suspiria fan fiction, yeah. which <laughs> did you? I, <laughs> I have a few notes written down. It's, it's definitely still an idea that's dancing around in my head. I really like the idea of Argento's Three Mothers trilogy and that there are these ancient, awful, gross witches it's the gross version of the witch idea that I was having last week. The other thing that I've been playing around with, um, other than my D&D stuff, is going back to our first week where we talked about what our influence are and we talked about historical fiction. So that kind of mixing with these three witches, I've been trying to play with a way to write about um, the Countess Bathory, who was a Hungarian countess who supposedly bathed in the blood of 500 plus virgins. Hmm in order to maintain her youth and is counted as one of the big influences on Bram Stoker for Dracula. I think it's a really weird, creepy story in that sort of, you know, scary stories you tell in the dark kind of way. And I really want to write about what it must have been like to discover that. But when I go to start kind of mapping it out and writing it, 
it is incredibly gruesome and terrible and hard. And I'm not the kind of person that can put myself in a headspace where I can write about torturing someone. It's incredibly, it's, it, it, I get physically uncomfortable when I sit down to write it and think about it. So I keep sort of slowly putting down notes on that and walking away until I find a way to get to it. That's not quite so obvious and gruesome and disgusting. And you gotta start somewhere though. I do, but I need to start in a place that I'm comfortable in. Do you have to, though? For me, I do. Okay. In order to go to a more uncomfortable space, I need to, in a way, reassure myself that I'm going to get to something that I like, that, mm-hmm. I get, that I'm going to get back to something that I want to write. I don't need to feel the need to write something that upsets me just for that sake. No, no, not for that sake. But I think sometimes writing your way out of something uncomfortable can sometimes uh, create things that you wouldn't have found if you felt comfortable. Not saying that you should be traumatizing yourself or anything like that. Right. And I think because it's such a uh, violent yeah. thing that I'm looking at. Yeah. I, I tried to uh, to uh, write a shooting or something the other day. I, I couldn't do that either, really. So, yeah. I'm on your side. I was just curious. Yeah. I think if I were writing something that were uncomfortable in a minor sense, I could push through it. But the amount of gore and human suffering about it really stops me dead in in my tracks about it. And what I'm trying to do in order to get to the part where I can write about it a little bit is I'm trying to craft a protagonist that is eventually going to help and save and cease the human suffering. And I think in that way, I'll be, you know, you've got to set up something bad for your hero to, to fight against Mm -hmm. So once I have a hero that I feel that I that can do that, I think mm-hmm. then I will be able to kind of go back and add in as much of that stuff as necessary. Because some there's a lot of times where the the blood and guts and gore isn't necessary at all. Yeah, sometimes it can be gratuitous, yeah. but I think it's actually when you write something that horrific. I mean, I whenever I have done it in the past, I utilize my discomfort and like genuine disgust, and I try to make it as like authentically disgusting as I feel right. because. It's like, I want to make sure I don't sanitize it or make sure, I don't want to make it like, not sanitized per se, but I don't want to make it like, I don't know the word flashy. I don't want to make it like fun. You know, I want to like be real so that my reader doesn't think like, cool, murder, that's fun. Like I want them to be disgusted and like horrified and not like it. It's the difference between Schindler's List and Glorious Bastards. Well, I mean, that's what I was wondering too, that the things we have watched lately, including Suspiria and Mandy, have been fairly gruesome, but they've been gruesome under the guise of uh, style. They're really stylish with their especially gruesome scenes. So I don't know if that's a way to come in at it, too. It's just in a, a sort of more avant-garde way. Or I think there is. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 an angle to take if that's... For me, I, I definitely... I can't write that because I feel uncomfortable doing mm-hmm. that. But I know that there are a lot of like skillful writers who can like do that successfully well, and i think that's a thing that i want to eventually get to mm-hmm. where there's going to be especially when you talk about uh well she's not an urban legend she's a real historical figure but you talk about the rumors that surrounded the historical figure versus the atrocities that were actually happening and i think you can use oh, yeah. that avant-garde style for something for the rumor mill that happened and yeah. you can use but you need to use something a little more real a little more visceral and very uncomfortable for what actually happened, because it was still horrible. So that's, yeah, I guess that's from a real historical fiction fan, because, you know, I don't, I would never think of that. 
really. And you're you're used to those yeah those tropes more and how that works. One thing I like in historical fiction, it for like major things like what you're describing, is taking it from like uh, the perspective of someone who wouldn't have made history books. So like one of the people who was sacrificed, for example, like we we don't get their perspective, and so it would be interesting to explore. Right. That. So the character that I'm developing right now is someone that would have been sent to her as a um as like a, a daughter of like a minor noble person that would have been there to learn etiquette and how to be a lady before she would be shipped off to get married to someone else. Mm-hmm. And I want to set it right at the time where the Countess Bathory was arrested and put under house arrest and, and caught. So I want to have her be sort of this pivotal character in uncovering what was actually going on. So she oh, was yeah. hearing yeah. these rumors about these girls disappearing and she would wake up at night to streams of terror and in a lot of ways she was probably being groomed Mm -hmm. to be sacrificed or to be you know complicit in the sacrifices before everything got exposed and so I want to kind of explore it through that way but I also don't want to I still feel because it's such a violent you know it was such violence against women and Mm -hmm. it's not just gruesome mutilating violence there was a lot of sexual violence as well it's something that I'm just I'm not to the point where I can write about that and not have it read anything other than Cavalier, which I think is the wrong thing to put out about this Mm -hmm. story. I think you want to write it in a way that is very discomforting, that may be a little bit triggering for people, but so that Mm -hmm. for those that aren't triggered by it, for those who normally don't experience those kind of things, you know, they can feel how, gruesome and terrifying and how real people's you know trauma is Mm -hmm. yes that's good and that's a really it it takes a lot of nuance and it's not nuance that i have right now and it's not and the only way to get that nuance is to you know try and fail Mm -hmm. and edit and keep going that way but i do want to make sure that i approach it when i get to that kind of space in a way that is respectful and well-meaning and not just like I need to, and this may be the thing that I write when I'm not doing nano because yeah. it really it makes me uncomfortable when I'm trying to do it for word count. Where I can write something like my my little D and D pieces for word count, make them fluffy. If they're not quite right, that's fine because they're you know Wikipedia entries basically. Um, and if I'm if I miss the mark a little bit or if it's not quite what I wanted, it's not going to hurt anybody and it's not going to hurt me. Yeah, I similarly I can't write. I have never even tried. I think I've never tried to write like just a sex scene too, for that same reason. Just <laughs> See, and I have the opposite thing with a sex scene. I feel like I've read enough like erotica and erotic fan fiction yeah. and stuff like that, that when, when I go into my head to write, write a sex scene, it is very like, all right, well, we got this that has to happen. And then this is going to have to happen. And then the character. Yeah, it's like very yeah, like, like, yeah, mechanical, yeah. like, all right, step one, two, and three, we've made it through. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then we can get on to the gushy emotional part about, like, I really do love you. You know, all of that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. It has, it has implications that are not in any way related mm-hmm. to actual sex with a person. Yeah. Well, I think, like Jen said earlier, too, like, if it is, if, if the point of it is to make you uncomfortable or to concern not not you but the reader to make the reader uncomfortable or to make them feel a certain sort of empathy for this situation i think you have to write in a way that makes you feel that way too like like what jen was saying because i was thinking of like writing jokes really all you can hope for when you're writing them is that you laughed at them 
and hopefully yeah, other yeah. people laugh at them. Right. So it's kind of the same way. I mean, it's totally different. Sexual violence and writing a knock-knock joke are two different things. But but if you're talking about like actual an actual sex scene, are you saying that you need to be like turned on by what you're That's writing? the weird part, yeah, because that would be gross. Because when you read that in books, you can <laughs> tell. a little weird. Yeah, you can't you can tell when the person writing it was a little bit gross and I was You know, like, like hey, every like... time there's a sex scene in Game of Thrones with uh Dianaries, you can tell you can see George R. R. Martin yeah, like rubbing can... his hands, like Like, oh uh, yeah, she's topless. Let's do this. God, that's disgusting. Like little fourteen year old girl, no shirt. Oh yes, like so cringy, I hate it. It makes me want to die. Well, the gross part now is thinking about him writing the book with Oh no, because the TV show's over, so it doesn't matter. I was thinking him writing the book, knowing who the actors were, being like, hee hee hee, I'm gonna see Tyrion's butt now, or something, you know? Like, <laughs> Sometimes with that sort of stuff, I can actually, like, I can relate with that more. As someone that loves and has written fan fiction that's before, yeah. that's entirely the point yeah, of fan that fiction. Makes sense. Like, I like this yeah, actor with this actress, you know, or this character with this character, let's see what they do together. Uh-huh. I do want to backtrack and just say, George R. R. Martin, actually, I feel like when I did read the books, he actually wasn't too cringy about the sex stuff. He actually really did pretty so good. Bad, um, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I'm joking about it, but he actually, I think he was pretty. Like, I think you can tell in those books that he's, he's yeah. pretty in love with, with Daenerys, I think. Well, I think he was into Daenerys. I think Daenerys. that's how you say it. Yeah, um, Daenerys, yeah. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe I was saying But right. anyway, um, so I just, yeah, I just wanted to, in case anyone was listening, like, hey, wait a minute. He's fun to, he's fun to <laughs> I just want to be like, yeah. Yeah, he is skillful. He's good. Like I like the way he writes know. about food a lot. Those are the best parts of the book well, for me. I mean, even when he had sex scenes or even mentions of any of that, I felt like it was real to human nature. So oh. I liked that. I'm trying to think of it other than just fan fiction because there was a while where I, I really loved reading poorly written erotic fan fiction. I'm trying to think of a sex scene in a book that just was... Ugh. But I can't think of one right now. I remember when I was like 11 or 12, I had gotten the novelization of The World Is Not Enough. Maybe that one. I think it was that one. It's the one with Denise Richards. And there's a sex scene written into the book that's not in the movie. And I was like an 11-year-old reading it. And it was like (laughs) involved mainly just like four pages about like the character's like nipples. And I remember like rereading it a lot as a kid because that was like the dirtiest thing I had ever read at the time. But <laughs> but now, like, I can kind of remember the parts of it. I'm like, that was just terrible. It was just James Bond licking Denise Richards' nipples for no reason in the middle of this, like, nuclear bomb plot. And how could you write that without the people who played weird. it in mind? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just Pierce Brosnan, you know, suckling up. That's a bit weird. Shaking that stirred. All right. Nano challenge includes suckling up <laughs> the next... Oh, man. <laughs> we're gonna have to do writing challenges once we get this going a little bit i think that'll be fun, yeah. that'll be fun. well yeah. that segues us pretty nicely as we talk about it to my question for this week which is really about protagonists because in this theoretical bathory story i have a protagonist in mind but with the witch writing and with my D with the witch <laughs> with the witch writing with the D writing i don't have a protagonist in mind and my spooky house story does but protagonists get kind of awful pretty quickly um legendarily so yeah it's the character you probably spend the most time with as a writer and i've gotten i haven't written that much with my spooky house story but i'm so annoyed with my protagonist and this is a protagonist that is partially based on myself 
So I'm just fully annoyed with myself, fully annoyed with this protagonist. How do you write a protagonist that isn't awful or do you just lean into them being awful? Mm. Jennifer? Well, honestly, yeah, just go for it. Have an awful protagonist. I don't think every protagonist needs to be likable. I have never agreed with the idea that you have to like them. But I do think that you need to understand them. Like, You have to agree that they're human. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you have to sympathize to the extent that you're like, yes, a human would do that. When they're bad or when they're good, a human would behave that way. So for me, that's what matters. Well, and that's actually my big defense of Game of Thrones, because I was talking to my younger cousin last night, and it's a very common thing that people talk about, which is, I didn't really like Sansa in the first books. I thought she was really annoying and awful. And Sansa acts like a 13-year-old girl. Sansa's fucking badass. I'm on the Sansa defense. Same. I think that from the beginning, she acts exactly like any one of my friends or myself would have acted at the time. Yes, you were stupidly motivated by boys. Yes, you want to hang out with boys that are bad for you or who you know are hurting you. It sucks, but those are the dumb decisions we make as a 13-year-old. And the fact that she is able to make those decisions, learn from her mistakes, and survive as long as she has, I think that's a great character arc. And I think you have to start in a place that seems childish and seems kind of, you know, whiny and and boy crazy, but that's exactly where we all start. I think that was a good way to handle it. Yeah, she's a great parallel to Arya for me because Arya is like really obviously like the strong girl who's like breaking stereotypes. What I like about Sansa is that she's working within stereotypes but still surviving and being badass. So she's badass in a different way that is more uh, traditionally feminine. Right. So I like the I like having both ways of existing shown through each sister. Well, and I like that both of them are have survived. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to talk shit about Sansa because she's mm-hmm. different from Arya. They're both badass in their own right. way. Right, and I think there's a reason why Sansa and Arya are alive and Rob is not. Yes. If we're talking yep. protagonists, is there a trick then in Game of Thrones because there is? 9,000 protagonists? <laughs> yeah, there's there's endless protagonists. Um, I actually fall into that trap like J.R.R. Martin. I, uh, I have too many protagonists. I can't help it. I always care too much about every character I create mm-hmm. and I want to tell their full story. So I, I do that every time. I There's nothing wrong with it. that, but um, it's a little bit different than sticking with one person for 700 pages. Well, whatever. and I think that there... Right, it is different. I think there... Not that there's something wrong with that, because there's not anything... Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but I do think that a lot of people <laughs> fall into that trap, and it's actually something in fantasy writing that I've gotten really tired of. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I actually don't appreciate it about myself, because I know that not every character I'm writing is interesting to the reader. Well... And to be honest, as much as I love Game of Thrones, not every character needs to be explored to the extent that they right. are. Right, and I have a lot of friends growing up that were really into Wheel of Time, and I got completely lost in that series because there were so many characters that we had to follow on for every single book, and I really think that a lot of them could have like could have been interesting and could have been more engaging if they had separated their stories from the main plot and given them their own offshoot. There's no reason in fantasy writing that you can't have multiple series running at once. And I look at something like uh, Terry Pratchett's Discworld, where you have all these characters that kind of come in and they they touch gently on everyone's storyline, but when there's something to be done with that specific character, they really get their own book. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of that has been lost. That's great. 
I think that's actually a great route to go with that. Um, I I think that a lot of the stuff you're, you're a hardcore fan of yeah. yeah, and I think there has been so much in that camp of of the Wheel of Time and not so much in that camp. And I think that one of the few writers that did it well was something like Lord of the Rings, where there are very separate things going that started in the same place and end in the same place, but are different along the way. And I think in trying to mimic that, we've gotten to character oversaturation. Yeah. Serious oversaturation. Um, and also, there's something that I am trying to always remind myself as a writer, which is just because I fucking love something that's happening in my book or just because I love a character doesn't mean anyone reading my book will ever give a shit. Like, I need to learn how to, like, prioritize. <laughs> yeah. And how many characters do we love that get no love from the writer? That they well, are- Is that why we like them, though? Because we can project what we want on yeah, them. Yeah, because we don't spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. That's... And that's probably true. So sometimes if you love it, you have to give it less room so that people can put their own thing into it. Especially like fan fiction is a great... Uh, the reason it's so popular, I think, other than just being porn, but <laughs> is because people can project what they want onto the characters. It's like a wish fulfillment for their characters. And that's yeah. that's fun. So I like writers who leave room for that. I mean, that's where you get shit like, you know, Justice for Barb and all that sort of stuff that really rallies a fan yeah. base, even though there's no consequence, you know? Yeah, and like Stranger Things for Barb, like Barb's, Barb's character, if you really separate yourself from how amazing she is, <laughs> she was pretty fucking boring, so. I mean, that wasn't, and it wasn't her fault, it was just she, that's what she was supposed to do, you know? She did what the yeah. character was supposed to do. Right, you just had a good actress in that role who made you care more than you really were supposed to. You had a decent yeah. actress. Yeah, she was it. so good. Yeah. She was great in that role, but you know what was weird was when she was in that movie on Netflix, um, uh, Sarah Burgess is a Loser. Yeah, oh my god, weird. that movie. That movie was fucking weird. In Riverdale, weird. they sort of have a, um, a uh, what's it called? A uh, The storyline for that actress is sort of, I think, answering to Barb. Like, she keeps almost dying and then not dying. And I think, spoiler alert, she finally died, but she, like, had almost been killed like five times just to service the narrative. So sort of talking back to the Barb thing. And I don't, mm. I don't know. It was fine. You know, I mean, if we were going to talk problematic protagonists, I think Archie going back 80 years, always the one who is so boring, but that's what you need. Right. And that's <laughs> why I've been a big defender of Riverdale. Cause I think they lean into it. They don't try to write Archie in a way yeah. that makes him anything less problematic or less obnoxious than he should be. They really lean into making him the perfect football player, sports guy, who's uh, also the greatest son on earth, who loves both of his parents so much, even though they're sep- they're divorced. And, you know, he plays music. He wants to be a musician, but he can't decide between music and football. It's just, it's so hammy. It's so uh-huh. over the top. And they lean into that to create an Archie that for some reason you still end up liking. Well, that reminds me, and I wrote this down too, when we're talking about do want to embrace the awful, try to make them sympathetic. There's two screenwriting techniques I think about sometimes when talking about protagonists, and they're pretty easy to do. One's called, one's pretty famous, and it's called Save the Cat. You guys know that one? Mm-mm. I don't. Tell us. So the screenwriter, I don't remember his name. He's kind of just a hack, but he has this, this one good idea. He talks about saving the cat, and his point is, in Alien, the movie Alien, when Sigourney Weaver saves the cat, you already now are on Ripley's side if you weren't before. In that one moment, she had already built all of this goodwill all of a sudden because she did something 
without explaining it, that was good. So it instantly builds sympathy for this character without actually having to do any real like work. I mm-hmm. see. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, so you'll see it a lot in like, especially like action movies. It's an easy way to do it. Is you know, like a little kid's about to get crushed, so a superhero gets him out of the way. You know. Things like that were basic things, basic, obvious, sympathetic things that we can all get on the same yeah. like boat or boat. And like visual cues in movies. Typically, I think that's why it helps. There's also the toaster. I like the idea of the toaster. I don't remember who said this. I can't find it online. I think I heard it on a podcast. But the toaster is also this this thing that a protagonist is obsessed with that makes them sort of charming. I think it's a reference to I Am Legend. Maybe I think Will Smith's character is like really into his toaster or maybe iRobot. He's always talking about like his old toaster and how good it was. And there's something about him, the character being into this one certain thing so much that it, it makes them look more human, even though it's, it's totally nonsense. Right. It's totally relatable. I see. Yeah, actually they did that in uh, Lego Batman. Um, There was a, I know this is kind of a silly example, but Lego Batman for part of it was just like, Illegal Batman was just microwaving his dinner and he was like entering the the minutes incorrectly in the microwave and he's like, oh shoot, and he had to like start over, (laughs) retype two minutes. And it tells you so much about the character just without doing anything. Yeah, and like watching a movie, he was trying to find the right HDMI channel to watch what he wanted to watch and it's just like, God, we've all done that. That's very relatable. You are human to us. We can, we know what that feels like to just do basic boring tasks. It's the stuff that ends up on Tumblr or on GIFs where it's just, you know, mood. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's, exa- that's a perfect example because there's nothing really happening in those pictures. No. You know, it's a sleeping dog or something. We all kind of know what that means, even if we don't. And if we- like we can all relate to the, the mood that you feel seeing a sleeping dog. Yeah. Right. So like in the first, when I first started writing the piece I was writing, the protagonist is a private investigator, which I know in real life, all that really means is that he sits out front of apartment complexes and tries to catch people who are abusing workers' comp. So he's doing that in the beginning scene. He sees this woman who has claimed that she had hurt her leg or something. She's not limping, doesn't look hurt at all. And without saying, without there being any sort of like internal dialogue where he's like, oh, I'm just going to go back to the boss and lie about it and say she was limping because she seems nice. He, the protagonist sees her not limping, goes back to his boss and says, oh, I saw her limping, she's hurt. So without explaining the internal like thought process of him going like, oh, I should help this lady because of this reason, and I'm nice because of this, I just had him go with one line like, I dislike her less than I dislike her boss. And I think that all of a sudden told a lot about who the character was. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not sympathetic, but yeah. it does a lot with a little. I think those little markers are pretty helpful. I think things like that are really important. Just when you do, you don't, when you don't need your character to monologue about their feelings or their, their like good nature, just show it. I think sometimes protagonists get a little, to become a handful when the writers want them to explain everything about themselves. I mean, that's why we have flashbacks yeah. and your flashbacks are kind of overused, but that's a quick way to show something without showing something. Uh, yeah, I don't mind them. But... Oh, so how oh, are you? Th- how are you threading that needle then with something like a noir story, where normally you are in the detective's head? Um, you still are, but it's just it's just things like that. I, I, you know, like you said before, sometimes tertiary characters are a little bit more fan favorites because you can project things on them. So if I put those little markers in there through there, and occasionally have him have an opinion on something or a flashback, I think you can do a lot with a little. I think with protagonists, that's my thought. Um, 
So there is some thoughts, especially like in the moment, like if what he's thinking about when he's talking to somebody else or what his opinion is on a, the scenario in front of him. But he's a, I think he's a, he has a, um, a limited scope. He's not mm-hmm. a, he's not a, a reliable narrator. So I think that helps too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love unreliable narrators. It's, it's really kind of fun to try and, you know, piece together what's true after seeing a world through an unreliable person's perspective. Yeah. It's way more fun to do, to read uh-huh. and it is so flipping hard to write. Is it? It's so hard. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, you might be good at it, Jesse, but I, that's one of the hardest things for me is trying to, to write in a way that isn't just like, cause I know what's, what's exactly true, as the so writer to write what's not, you know, um, I know everything. And see, so it's I hard. go into thinking as the writer, I don't know anything. Oh. Ooh. I only know. I like that exercise. That's good. I don't know if it's an exercise. I just didn't realize that I was thinking differently than you guys until I said that. <laughs> I like I like that though. I want to I you know, I guess I called it an exercise because I want to try doing it as one. I want to see what it's like to just kind of Well, I guess I go in blind technically. I don't always know where I'm trying to take the story. Yeah. But I know what's true in a particular scene and it might be fun to just write something where I don't really know if my if my narrator is telling the truth or not. Craig, leave. <laughs> Thank you so much, Craig. So we had some technical difficulties and we just lost the last uh, couple minutes of what we were talking about. So in short, protagonists, they're always going to be kind of crappy, but the best you can do is write what's authentic to you. I think that's true about anything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It turned out that the real protagonists were the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. For the right sweats we got along the way. I think it's fun, though. I think we should make a note one day after this whole nano stuff is done. Is just to talk about the, the worst protagonists in media. Like in uh, Sarah, Sierra Burgess or Burgess. Uh, that one. She's bad. Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother. Oh, absolutely. I think it's just when they get Oh, yeah. It's just when they're trying to be one thing, but they end up another. Uh Or uh, what's her name? Um, Meredith Grey in Grey's Anatomy. I like Meredith Grey. I'm a big Meredith Grey defender. Mm. I mean, she's not. Yeah, she's not Christina Yeah, I was about to say. A lot of people are. Meredith is a great introduction to all the other great people in Grey's. I mean, that's what, what a good protagonist does. Right. And in True Blood, that's kind of what Sookie becomes. Sookie is oh, Suki just awful. I just, I want her off screen the whole time I'm watching True Blood. Just like, go away. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Sookie and her fucking fairy vagina. Go away. I didn't watch it that far. <laughs> I need more Pam. 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 <laughs> yeah, you didn't watch it. So you say when you watch Archer, too, isn't it? Yep. Pam. Pam. All right, so I think Jen's going to record something from Nano. Uh, no, I'm sorry, yeah. not from Nano. From the night of uh, driving dangerously, riding, riding dangerously. Yeah. The night of yeah. nighting dangerously. The night of nighting dangerously. <laughs> so, yep, live from night of nighting dangerously. I'm gonna read something that I write while I'm there. Um, so is there any anything you can tease right now? Uh, well, we'll see, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm still going to work on my toxic friendship storyline and I might be, uh, making it more fantasy than I originally thought. I thought I was not going to have any, it, it, I can't, I can't help it. It just comes <laughs> out. So 
We'll see. So more than fantasy, because this next clip is coming to us from the future, this whole episode is science fiction. Yeah. All right, so, then. Here we go, Jen from the future. Take it away. Okay, so uh, uh, this piece is something I wrote while I was at Night of Writing Dangerously, a special event for NaNoWriMo, a charity event. And so they passed around prompts, and mine was stationary plant of life, bring a character back to life. So I had to get creative with that because my story does not have any sort of magical element. So I decided to take a trip back to one of my old NaNoWriMo novels, called the demon kingdom so it is fantasy this one and the 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 only context you need is that sen is a magical person uh he's a part of a magical community called the demons and uh they're not really demons they just have magic and they're called demons uh when they use their magic it's called the day and it's honestly a pretty weak magic they can't really do a whole lot of things so i kind of with this piece explored how it would be if he had to actually use huge magic by bringing someone back to life. All right, so I'm going to start. The black sky tightened around Sen. His body drooped underneath the weight, unable to handle the vastness of the night. He was too simple, too small, too hollow. Ariana laid flat on the ground. No, not Ariana. It was her body, flat on the ground. Everything that she was had disappeared, entered some other realm maybe simply faded into the vast emptiness of the night. And despite that emptiness, her body weighed more than the earth and more than the sky that surrounded Sen. Her body pulled Sen closer as if the night around them was an orbit around her and dragging Sen along with it as it fought to collapse upon her. Something hummed through Sen, something hummed through Sen's limbs, something he could not name. Something frail that tickled his veins. Tickled. Wow, that's a good choice, Jen. <laughs> Pressure built underneath his temples and tears spilled on his face. But his face was blank. He felt a sharp coldness on his hands and realized he'd collapsed beside her. Not the night. The soil beneath him was soft and chill on his palm. But when he reached to touch Ariana's arm, she was hard and icy. The humming grew stronger inside him, pushing against the weight that immobilized him. Nothing that Ray said would have mattered. Sen's body moved on its own. His mind was the property of that hum in this moment. Heat spilled from his palm onto Ariana's arm, and something sharp sliced through his heart. The hollowness he felt at the sight of her body filled with the hum until it burst a flame within him. His face contorted, teeth bared, as he shouted for the first time, Come back, his voice broke, but the sound woke him from the haze. Cold wind struck his face, whipping his hair into his eyes and chilling the tears on his cheeks. Sen growled, abandoning his pride. He pushed the fire out of his body. He couldn't bear it anymore. It tore at his muscles and scraped along every nerve. He screamed and he tightened his grip on Ariana and pushed the day into the corpse. His fingers dug deep into the icy flesh, tearing but not bruising. It angered him. Bruise, he shouted. Bleed anything. Just live. He felt the familiar pull of the day at the base of his skull and released as a flash of war. Oh my god. <laughs> this is sounding like a sex scene. He felt the familiar... Okay. I'm gonna maybe not read part of it because I don't want the word released. 
Um, <laughs> he felt the familiar pull of the day at the base of his skull, and it released with a flash of wind which struck dirt and rocks through the air, striking Sen and Ariana. And then they dropped into the dirt with a soft patter. The wind was still. Let it work, he thought. But nothing happened. Her body was as lifeless as the tiny rocks that had fallen from the sky. All right, so that is as much as I wrote of that scene. But it's literally unreal that seconds after this, I wanted to write that she wakes up. Um, and of course, she's not the same, you know, the whole, don't bring people back from the dead. But yeah, um, hopefully I captured the sense of like desperation to bring someone back to life. I don't know. All right, so with that, we will jump back in time to when we pre-recorded the episode before the night of writing dangerously. We're going to just push this chunk into the episode. We're going to splice this chunk into the episode. All right, you guys, I will see you next week. Whoa, that so was good. crazy. I like the way, I like the image of the, um, the thing and the other thing. And I like what those two characters said to each other. Yeah, yeah you know thanks i worked real hard on that that one <laughs> metaphor in paragraph three really yep my question is what is what is the greater meaning in all of this like where yes. does this really fit into our world and like what's happening right now would you call that the an excerpt from the great american novel or the greatest american novel <laughs> the greatest human novel oh yes you know what well, anyway, I think that wraps it up for this week's episode of Right Sweats. Thanks, Jen. Thank you, everybody, Thank you. for tuning in this week. Make sure you follow us on, you subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now Google Podcasts. Google Podcasts. But look at our uh, blog at, what is it? It's rightsweats.home.blog. Something of that nature. There is a link in our show notes. Um, the great thing about that is you'll be able to read all of our annotations from this week. Yes. So if you had a question about something that we uh, brought up, this will give you the great Wikipedia entry on it. With that, follow us on social media and we'll see you next week. Bye. See you later. Bye. Hello? Are y'all there? What the fuck?